Welcome to Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer. It's the 77th episode, the Valtteri Bottas episode, and I'm here after the Mexican Grand Prix. Had to bring the old tradition back for this one. Unfortunately, it wasn't a great race for Valtteri, a bit unlucky. But anyway, before we get to the Mexico City action, first, a quick reminder to check out the link tree in the description. It has links to pages like all the platforms you can find this podcast, like my YouTube channel, Breakbys Twitter, and my TikTok. It has my email address if you'd like to contact me, as well as my personal Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. Now, let's talk about the racing in leg two of the America's Triple Header. Well, it was another pretty average race in Mexico City, if you ask me. Uh, I thought that the race overall was uh, somewhat underwhelming. I think this race every single year. You know what? Actually, I uh, retweeted um, Tom Bellingham from the uh, P1 podcast. I was about to say WTF1. That's not the case anymore. Anyway, that's another story. I retweeted him because I thought that he basically summed up what the Mexican Grand Prix is every single year perfectly and that it was uh, atmosphere 10 out of 10, racing 0 out of 10. Now, of course, that's a bit of an exaggeration. It's not like it's uh, completely atrocious um, in Mexico every single year, but I just feel like the track is just an, it just doesn't lend itself to any really exciting racing. It has many, many problems with it. I think the stadium section is a brilliant idea on paper, and it is really cool. Um, so it has a bit of uniqueness that I'm, I, I actually feel bad complaining about it. But it is such a fiddly little section, and it pretty much offers nothing in terms of how the cars look in qualifying, and um, the racing is just really bad through there. Um, it is really cool for the fans, you know, to see the cars going through there slowly, and just like the idea of a track going through a stadium and those, that stadium being filled with fans, and the fact that they do the uh, post-race interview in that section is awesome. So. I don't blame, like, I wouldn't blame them for keeping that in if they did an entire, you know, relook at this track and uh, made it new. I, I do like it, but the fact that that is the section right before this massively long straight basically ruins racing on that straight as well. It's so long, so you think it would sh- it would be easier to pass, but it's kind of like the Monza straight. They're going so fast um, because of the high altitude that there's just such a little drag in Mexico. It, it The straight is actually shorter. Uh, this was explained on the Sky broadcast uh, pretty well, and it kind of gave me perspective that I never actually really thought of, yet it's so obvious, is when you're traveling at such a higher speed, it doesn't matter that it's a longer straight. You're on the straight for less time because you're traveling so much faster. You know, a one-kilometer straight at uh, 200 kilometers an hour is, you know, it feels a lot uh, longer than a, uh, you know, a a straight that's about the same speed, but you're traveling half or about the same distance, but you're traveling half the speed, right? So um, I think I butchered that analogy, but I think you guys understand what I'm trying to say. Um, So 
that section, it's hard to follow through there. And then we have this issue with the long straight. And then probably my biggest gripe with the entire circuit is actually the two corners following the long straight because there's nothing wrong with not being able to breeze past on a straight as long as that, you know, the braking into the into the first corner leads to some nice racing through the next couple corners. And that is not what you get. It is a very, um, I don't know if fiddly really describes these two corners, the uh, little chicane there onto the second DRS straight. Awkward is maybe a better way to put it. It's just... It, it, you can't go too wide into the next corner, really. It, we saw it a couple times. Uh, uh, in fact, Piastri and Sonoda collided there. It's just, it doesn't flow at all. Um, I do like how wide corner one gets. Um, I think that, you know, is I love when cars can potentially go three wide through there. Of course, that ended in tears for Paris, too. We'll get to that in a bit later but it doesn't flow through there and then the second DRS straight's a bit too short so we didn't see very many moves done at the end of the second DRS straight then the rest of the kind of bit and then the you know the double triple right hander really and then you go through the fast s section then there's a third DRS straight into the stadium section that's just not nearly long enough so it's just it doesn't provide any real good opportunities and it's not like for me, like Hungary somehow always provides a great race. And I think, I think it's a great qualifying track. I don't think Mexico is a great qualifying track. I think Hungary, for example, sure. You might not be able to make the move on the, into turn one, but then the next few corners, you know, the second DRS straight, and then you go down the hill a little bit and then you got the left, right into the straight. Like it's just, it, just provides a lot better opportunity through there too mexico just doesn't um it, it's probably the the circuit that i would take off the calendar um in my top three you know i have my uh, problems with the imola circuit too i know some people love the old school nature of that track but not one that i love particularly either mexico's up there and if perez is off the calendar I think Mexico is the number one uh, circuit that has to leave, in my opinion. I also have my problems with Abu Dhabi, but anyway, that's not what we're discussing here. I just thought that a lot of people probably found that race boring. I think it's probably the third straight Mexican Grand Prix, um, you know, obviously with a, a gap being there uh, because of COVID. Three straight Mexico Grand Prix since we, you know, had that break in 2020 from the race they've been boring. I think the 2021 season is a perfect example of it because it was an amazing season and it was probably one of the worst races of that season. It was the one I, I couldn't, you know, get away or uh, not get away. I, I couldn't take my eyes off of Formula One in 2021. I, I wanted every last second of it. And that was the only race of the year that as soon as Max took the lead into turn one, and I watched for a few more laps, I was like, this is going to be boring. I can tell. This is not going to be good. And that is exactly what happened. It was pretty, pretty uh, atrocious. Um, last year, Daniel Ricciardo gave us some fun um, when he pulled it on those softs. And then this year, he was kind of a star as well. Um, but we'll get back to him later as well. Let's talk about our race winners. That is, of course, Red Bull in the hands of Max Verstappen again. Um before I get to the race, though, I guess just in qualifying, to qualify third, which 
funny enough, is arguably one of the best places to be in Mexico, where it's not the case in a lot of other tracks. Pole, definitely not as important in Mexico. Um, so, of course, the one time that we get Max uh, on the second row of the grid, he's in just as good of a spot as he would be if he just qualified first. But I definitely expected more in qualifying for Max. I think the entire qualifying session as a whole was very strange um, with Ferrari just kind of popping up out of nowhere and uh, taking pole position on their uh, first runs of Q3. And then the track just completely fell away from everyone and no one could improve. We all thought, or at least I thought, you know, purple sectors were just going to start popping up for Verstappen and he was going to take it, but it just wasn't to be. Um, And it ended up being with uh, the two Ferraris locking at the front row, but Max still being within a 10th of them both. Um, and another thing, the other Red Bull, Checo, of course, the one time that he gets within a tenth, tenth and a half of Max Verstappen, he gets split by Daniel Ricardo, or at least I should say Ricardo splits the Red Bulls. That is absolutely the last guy Checo would have wanted to see up there out qualifying him. He has had his woes, but you know, that should have been a moment of confidence for him. And he's probably looking ahead like an alpha tire to speed me great this is just this is just what i need and of course things do not get better for checo on sunday we'll get to that first could there have been a worse start to this grand prix i mean things were i feel like formula one fans when we get to sunday and say there's a shock result in qualifying even if even if there is no shock result in qualifying we always run through the possibilities in our head of um what kind of script we could get in uh, in the Grand Prix. Um, a lot of the times I feel like, oh, you know, the guy on pole might be the quickest, but who knows? Maybe something happens in turn one. Maybe there's a crash. Maybe late safety cars. Maybe this team actually is faster than whatever. A million things could, uh, you know, crop up in your head. Um, that was probably the worst thing that you could probably possibly imagine like I said you know leading up to this Grand Prix everyone is a Checo fan at the Mexican Grand Prix whether you like Red Bull or not Um, myself being a fan of Mercedes I typically don't you know lean towards cheering for Red Bull but at the Mexican Grand Prix I want Checo up on there uh, up on that podium I want him you know doing as well as he possibly can just because the entire vibe of the race weekend is so much better when Checo does well and of course, into turn one, he gets a phenomenal start. I mean, he started P5 in the grid. If he had taken the lead into turn one from P5, that would have been absolute scenes. And he went for it. I mean, he actually was leading his home race for a split second because he just braked later than Leclerc and Verstappen, who, uh, you know, were three abreast into turn one. Um, but of course, Three abreast into turn one doesn't always uh, work out. Three into one a lot of the times doesn't work out. And in this case, it ended in tears for Sergio Perez. It was uh, overambitious. It was actually very reminiscent of Lewis getting knocked out in Qatar, which is, you know, exactly what Lewis said in the cooldown room, actually, after the race. Um, and it's just a damn shame for Checo because I think he had good pace. He definitely could have ended up on the podium. And the fans were absolutely distraught to see their driver, you know, knocked out of the race into turn one. Um, My opinion on who's at fault, I mean, I don't know if 
anyone necessarily is at fault. I think when you're the driver on the outside and three cars are going into turn one, that's just a risk that you you have to know you're taking. Um, and that's exactly what happened here. Uh, Leclerc had nowhere to go. Max was as far up the inside as he possibly could be. Um, and Checo, you know, said he didn't expect Charles to break as late as he did. But of course, Charles was trying to hold on to the lead for Max because he knew that was his race. So he was kind of aggressive with it. And uh, yeah, you can uh, you can never be a hero on the first lap, but you can be a zero. And in this case, Checo was a zero. And as much as I do think it was a racing incident, it's kind of the same thing with Hamilton. At the end of the day, you have to take the onus because you were the driver on the outside and you were the one trying to make the most happen out of nothing. It was a shame to see Perez's reaction. I think he was almost in tears um, back in the garage because, you know, like I said, there's rumors that Perez was going to hang it up in uh, in Mexico. That, of course, did not happen, which is not surprising. That would have been a crazy thing to happen. Um, but he definitely does know that he doesn't have very many Mexican Grand Prix left in him. And, you know, this could be his final one in a Red Bull, if not his second to last one in a Red Bull. So you're not going to be up on that podium very many times. And uh, I'm sure he would have liked to be on there as many times as he could before he stepped away from the sport. And he just lost a great opportunity to do just that. So uh, I completely understand being upset, but I thought he had a very classy post-race interview. Um, he didn't necessarily say it was my fault, um, but I think he recognized that uh, he did take a risk, and he said he has zero regrets because if there's a gap and he has a chance to take the lead in his home Grand Prix, he would do it over again. And uh, I think I you know, gained a lot of respect for Checo with that answer. I thought it was very genuine. So that's really kind of my opinion on the start. And it really did set up the rest of the race because with the Ferraris on the front row, we thought if they can both somehow stay ahead of Max, then maybe they can work as a team and make the race interesting. But of course, Verstappen just took the lead out of turn one, never looked back until, of course, we did get a red flag for Magnussen that gave F1 fans a glimmer of hope for a new race leader. You know, Lewis was on the mediums in P3. Charles uh, and Sainz were both still there um, on mediums. Or no, they were on hards. Apologies. Yeah. Um, yeah. So still, they were on the dirty side, though. So it was it was all for naught. I think Lewis was honestly kind of who people were hoping for. That didn't come to fruition. Uh, so yeah, Max dominated that entire final stint and drove to a comfortable victory. I was pretty happy because I had Max winning uh, and over 12 second margin. So that was a nice win for me. Uh, but honestly, when is Max ever going to make another air? It's, it's really insane. Uh, I like, even when I think Lewis was dominating, we would see the occasional mistake or just even air from the team that made life difficult for Lewis. And sometimes he would come back and win it anyway. But my God, it's just like things just go perfectly for them every single race weekend. I mean, okay, sure, that wasn't the case in, in the States. You know, he had brake problems, but little little car issues are so much more manageable when you have such a pace advantage over everyone. Um, that's not the type of air I want to see. You know, I want to see him overcome a spin like he did in Hungary. I think that made things interesting last year in Hungary. 
He spun and still won. He was 10th on the grid. Um, you know, I feel like things don't always go Verstappen's way in quali, but he's he's so good in the race that it doesn't matter when things don't go his way in quali. Uh, you know, F1 fans always think, oh, maybe it's maybe Red Bull's pace isn't quite there, but everyone watches practice too, and they see Max up there, and on the long runs, he's always way, way ahead of everyone. So it's uh, it's frustrating, but it's the way it goes in F1 in 2023, and all we can hope for is that Ferrari, Mercedes, McLaren take the fight to Red Bull a little bit more in 24. So why don't we talk about Mercedes? Um, I had pretty high hopes for them here. My, my uh, bold prediction was actually about the Ferraris, but I had a pretty uh, bold prediction for qualifying winner, and I thought it would be a Mercedes. That was not the case. They were pretty disappointing in quality pace, actually. I thought they would look a lot better. And honestly, in practice, I thought they'd be up to speed right away. I was considering throwing out uh, my long shot bet of the week for Brad's bets, being that uh, uh, Mercedes would be fastest in FP1. Thank God I didn't do that because they had a pretty rough Friday. And, you know, I thought that this would be a weekend that they were be they would be the closest to Red Bull they'd been all year. Um, and it certainly didn't look like that after Friday and Saturday, but come Sunday, that race was a lot better. Well, at least it was for, for Hamilton because honestly, George wasn't quite there really at all on, on Sunday. The quality pace was, like I said, pretty average. So they seemed pretty close on Saturday. They at least both made it into Q3, but I believe they were sixth and seventh. So really nothing special there um but then in the race like lewis was stuck behind ricardo russell was behind piastri lewis got the move done on on ricardo sooner than russell did on piastri and then basically from there it just seemed like russell was never really on the pace of hamilton um you know Hamilton was making some inroads on the Ferraris and then uh, he decided to pit and the Ferrari stayed out, which was curious. Um, I think Mercedes decision to, uh, to pit early onto those hards, not as early as Verstappen because I don't think they recognized that Verstappen was actually going for a two stop. Um, So effectively Mercedes went early for a one stop and it kind of worked out, I think, when they got a red flag because then that gave them the opportunity. You know, he had already um, he had undercut signs and he didn't quite uh, undercut Leclerc. Leclerc did pit in time to stay ahead of Lewis, but then from there, Mercedes knew that they were looking pretty good on the mediums on Friday. Uh, Ferrari opted to stay on the hards and you know stay on the conservative tire and. It took Lewis a bit, but he made a, an absolutely brilliant move to get past Leclerc um, and then basically just got himself a gap and kept it for the entirety of the race. The mediums held on for a very, very long stint, and then I thought the coolest thing ever was the fact that Lewis had done one of the longest stints um, the Mexico Grand Prix had ever seen on the mediums. Of course, a lot of other drivers did the exact same stint length on those mediums because other drivers, you know, were on the mediums at the red flag restart, but it's still one of the longest medium stints at the Mexican Grand Prix, and he pulls out a fastest lap on the last lap. That was a Max Verstappen move. It was a baller move, and I was super happy to see that. Um, so 
Lewis had a great race. Um, Russell, though, not at all. He His medium tires fell off pretty hard at the end, and he was almost getting passed by Ricardo. You know, Lewis went forward after the red flag, and Russell went back. And it was pretty shocking to see Russell 30 seconds off of Hamilton at the checkered flag when there was a mid-race red flag that brought them together. So essentially, in a half-race distance... Russell, on the same tire as Lewis, was 30 seconds back. There were laps where he was a second off the pace. He said that uh, he was behind uh, following signs, I think it was, uh, for too many laps, and then he just lost his tires and he could never recover them. Um, But, you know, Lewis was fighting with Leclerc very, very hard as well, and that same, uh, he didn't run into those same issues. In fact, he pulled a pretty substantial gap, and... uh, kept it as I said where Russell was falling off of signs who was slower than Leclerc so yeah very very uh, eye-opening stuff Um, not great from Russell at all and you know that's why Lewis was pretty happy after the race and George you know after a disappointing outing in Texas and then now this in Mexico it's seemingly or it's looking like he's kind of falling back into that rut he was in earlier in the season where Lewis is clearly more on top of this car Um, As a Lewis fan, I'm sort of happy to see it, I guess, because I love when Lewis is is happy with the car and and doing the things that he can do. But at the same time, as a Mercedes fan, I want both of them up there. I think a fight between them could get pretty spicy. That's not what we're seeing at the moment. Um, And I think George does have it in him. Uh, There's just something that I think this Austin upgrade may have just given Lewis a bit of an edge. And uh, when he likes what he's feeling... He's still that seven-time champion, I think. So that's kind of how I see the Mercedes' race. Um, I don't really have much else to say. So why don't we move on to who you know got that final spot on the podium. That was Ferrari with Charles Leclerc. And I must say that was a massive, massive surprise. Um, I had Ferrari struggling here. Um, of course, I didn't really believe what my bold prediction was. Um, that they were both going to be out in Q1. I threw it out there just because it was a, it, they're bold predictions. They're meant to be fun, right? Um, so by no means did I think that was actually going to happen. More realistically, though, I thought that you know one Ferrari out in Q2 and another one in P8 was very possible. I wouldn't have been surprised at all to see them, you know, up there in quality somewhat in like P7, P8, and then fall back in the race or kind of just middle around in the middle of the field. Like, I honestly thought it could be that bad, but uh, I guess it really goes to show how compromised they were here last year by those engines being turned down um, because, yeah, that wasn't an issue at all. And qualifying um, with both of them locking up the front row, a complete surprise, and it was one of those surprises for Ferrari that they said was unique because usually they crop up in in, uh, Q1 and they're surprised by their qualifying pace, but... It wasn't there in Q1, it wasn't there in Q2, and then all of a sudden on the first lap of Q3, it was there, and they were flying, um, both Leclerc and Sainz, and Leclerc has been kind of not dominating Sainz, but he's had the edge on Sainz in qualifying in the uh, past few weekends, Um, but that was not really the case here. Of course, Leclerc still qualified him, but by half a tenth of a second, I mean, that's a pretty good showing from Sainz as well, so... Obviously, the Ferrari just had pace, um, and then that second lap in Q3 was so strange because then they were so off the pace. Leclerc was 
over half a second slower than his quality or his pull lap. So very, very strange. Um, but then we get the Sunday and those tired egg issues, you know, kind of reared its ugly head. Um, the start obviously didn't help with uh, Verstappen usurping them both. I did think there was maybe a chance at redemption with the red flag restart. But as I said earlier, um, you know, both of them were on the dirty side and on hard tires. So the effort was a bit futile. I think Leclerc did a great job to, you know, stay ahead of Hamilton to give him a shot there because Hamilton did really need to, or at least that's how everyone felt at the time was that Hamilton needed to use that medium at the beginning of the stint to try and pull a gap before Leclerc kind of got him back in the end. That, of course, wasn't the case. Um, So, you know, Leclerc ended up doing his job. And I think uh, in the end, if he couldn't keep Lewis behind, I'm not sure it would have made much a difference regardless of even if he took the lead. So I think he maximized what he should have. And um, he was probably lucky to get a podium had it not been for the misfortune of Lando Norris. Because, yeah, it was a positive weekend for Ferrari. And I think the world expected far less. Um, But as for Lando, he should have expected much, much more. Ah, Lando, 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 Lando. After a pretty promising outing in practice where, you know, his race pace looked to be the strongest or at worst on par with Verstappen's. Uh, People that were analyzing practice pace were saying that Lando's was right up there at the sharp end. He has his scrappiest qualifying yet. I mean, they go out on the mediums. They, as in McLaren, him and his teammate, uh, Oscar, they go, both go out on the mediums. Oscar did set a time, but Lando came into the pits. Then Lando goes out on softs. He has a moment, backs off, and he's thinking, okay, I got one more run on my third run. Everything's going to be fine here. And then, of course, Fernando Alonso spins. His lap gets compromised, and he basically doesn't even put a lap time on the board. So Lando ends up on the back row of the grid. Of course, with some post-race penalties that did move him up to, I think, 17th. Um, And Oscar, uh, meanwhile, was P8 on the grid, I believe. Um, So that is the job that Lando had to do from there is P17 with a car that probably had pace to be on the podium at a track where it's it's very difficult to overtake. And uh, let's just say Lando's practice pace certainly did show in the race. I mean, he was picking cars off at the start, a little bit slower. Um, He would have been stuck in a DRS train, so that life would have been pretty difficult for him. And then we get to the red flag, which uh, definitely helped because it just closed the gap. So that that field spread that would have happened over the course of like a half race distance was no longer. He was in P10. Then he has this horrible, you know, restart where he loses four spots, but that seemed to just ignite the fire within him because... After that, he was absolutely on fire, just picking off a car what seemed like every single lap. He eventually caught up to his teammate. That was really because Oscar was overall not that quick. And then he did have this bit of a tussle with Yuki Sonoda, who the Alpha Towers were, of course, on fire in this Grand Prix, showing legit pace. That uh, collision with Sonoda into turn one, I think was more on on Yuki. Uh, Oscar was the one defending. He did not move in the braking zone. He was, you know, he stood pat in the middle. Um, Yuki was the one who drifted too far over, in my opinion. I think he was actually pretty clear cut. 
surprised they didn't give Yuki a penalty. Yuki seemed to be pretty mad about it. I'm curious to get his actual thoughts on it because he just said no comment. Um, but obviously he thought that Oscar was uh, sloppy somewhere because of just how he reacted. Um, but to me, it seemed definitely on Yuki because he was the one, he was the aggressor and he drifted over. I, I actually kind of find it similar, uh, although in this case, if, if you remember, Lewis Hamilton was defending on Oscar Piastri um, in Monza into the second chicane and Lewis just drifted way too far over and they were both lucky to continue in the race. Um, and Lewis did get a five second penalty for that as well. Um, it was just because Lewis drifted way too far over and he, he gave Oscar no room on the track. In this case, Oscar did have plenty of room, but because he was the one defending, he could just hold his line and Yuki just drifted way too far over and then cost himself and, and his team quite a few points. Because I think if Yuki was able to make that move on Oscar, they were looking at a P7 and P8 finish instead of just the P7 finish with Daniel. So I think with AlphaTauri's kind of new form and if Ricardo can keep this up, they could have had a real shot at Williams, but I think they needed those four points from Yuki. As of now, I don't know because it's not like Albon is, is standing still either. You know, he scored two points in this Grand Prix. Um, so... Yeah, I'll have more on uh, Daniel and AlphaTauri a little bit later. Let's stay on the McLaren train, though, and not get too far off track. Um, so from from there, Oscar did have a bit of damage and was kind of completely out of it, but he had no threat from behind, so he just held on to that P8. However, he let Lando through. Um, he chased down George and Daniel to take P5, and that wasn't just a simple DRS bl uh, blow-by with, uh, you know, um, a huge pace delta. He made some incredible moves on George and Daniel. I mean, I was I loved the move on Daniel. Um, I thought it was brilliant. Um, a lot of pretty much everyone was making their move into turn one, and both of these moves that Lando put on Daniel and George were not into turn one. Um, and that's what I think made them so special because I was pretty critical of the track. And Lando was able to somehow utilize other parts of the track and make moves. That's what made them so special. So he had legit pace, obviously had a massive advantage on the drivers ahead. And they defended stoutly, and it still didn't matter. Lando was coming through. He definitely could have been on the podium. Um, this would have been a, you know, what could have been moment for Lando for sure. He said he would have been on the podium. I think he would have had a pretty nice battle with Lewis. But his qualifying, in the end, hurt him way too much. Um, he definitely should have finished ahead of both of the Ferraris. But that, of course, did not happen. So what were the results in the Grand Prix? Well, Max Verstappen got his 16th win of the season, breaking his own record for most races won in a season. P2 was Lewis Hamilton. Uh, an aggressive and honestly faultless drive from him. Um it was really cool to see how elated he was um, on the radio. His team had very nice things to say about his drive as well. I think Charles Leclerc, like I said, maximized his weekend with a P3. Uh, despite putting his Ferrari on pole, Carlos Sainz followed his teammate in P4. Then it was Lando Norris with that sensational recovery to P5. Russell finished P6, barely ahead of Ricardo, not his best outing. Ricardo 
was his best outing. He is in the points in 2023, a P7 finish for the Aussie. What a job. More on him in a moment. Oscar Piastri grabbed P8 in P9. It was Alex Albon. A pretty quiet two points for Alex, I'd say, uh, you know, when a similar performance may have gotten him praise earlier in the season. A sign of raised expectations, perhaps. Then in P10, rounding out the points was Esteban Ocon. Uh, now we look at the driver standings. Max Verstappen on 491, way, way ahead of Sergio Perez, who is sitting at 240, of course, scoring zero points in this Grand Prix. Lewis Hamilton up to 220. That fight for P2 back on 20 points in, you know, three Grand Prix in a sprint. That is doable. But at the end of the day, it's on Checo. If he can just score even P5s the rest of the way, he has this locked up. Then it's signs overtaking Fernando Alonso. They're actually even on points, 183 points. But signs won a race, so on countback, he is ahead of Fernando. And I imagine that uh, signs will not look back and he will continue to move ahead. Then looking further back behind the Spaniards, it's Lando Norris on 169. He is three points ahead of Leclerc on 166. And then a little bit further back, it's George Russell at 151. Um, I'm sure he's not very happy to be at the bottom of this uh, kind of big chunk of, of drivers here from Perez to Russell down. Then significantly far back, it's Oscar Piastri, who I still think people, you know, see this rookie season as a uh, success for him. But he is, you know, almost twice as many points, or I guess I should say half the points of his teammate. Not a great look. Then it's Pierre Gasly in P10 still holding on with 56 points. Looking at the constructors. Red Bull still way out in front. Mercedes at 371. They're ahead of Ferrari, who's at 349. That fight definitely not over. McLaren, um, they needed to make significant roadway if they had any hope in, you know, charging to catch Ferrari or Mercedes. That did not happen this weekend. So they're at 256, still 20 points ahead of Aston. That's not a threat at all. So I think McLaren is probably going to settle into this P4 spot. Then it's Alpine on 101. And here's where things get very interesting. Williams still in P7. They're on 28 points. Then it's Alpha Tauri up two positions. A huge, huge result here. They're on 16. That is level with Alfa Romeo, but Daniels P7 puts them ahead of Alfa Romeo on countback. And Haas still scoreless and feels like forever. Uh, it's been such a long time since they've scored. They're on 12 points and I'm afraid four points it doesn't look like they're even close to scoring that many um, however one lucky p5 from anyone at any point is 10 points and I feel like that is possible I think with Alpha Tauri having two drivers that can score in the points I think another result is you know possible for a P5 and a P6 potentially, um, just one of the drivers up the grid that high would help them catch Williams. That's why I think it really hurts to lose those potential four points from Yuki Tsunoda. Alvatari would be at 20, only eight back from Williams. That all that takes is you know, you know, a P4, uh, not P4. I mean, um, you know, a couple eighth place finishes. Um, you know, maybe someone gets up to P7 again. You, you get what I'm saying. It's just, it's that's not over. I mean, it, this is a very interesting little fight at the bottom. I know some people are like, oh, who cares about these teams? But legitimately, 
these teams really, really, really care about these positions and they go a long way. So yeah, this is a tasty little battle at the back of the grid. Now for the prize demise answer prize. I think the prize is a no-brainer. The person that gained the most from this Grand Prix is Daniel Ricardo. I mean, his image has been restored to an extent. Um, I will say, though, I think people should err on the side of caution because I opened up this, uh, this race review by noting that Daniel Ricardo had a pretty sensational outing in Mexico last year when he bolted on those softs and earned himself a driver of the day performance. I don't want people to just assume that Ricardo is all of a sudden back and, you know, really vibing with this car because he, you know, you know, flourished um, against his teammate at a track that he loves. I think we need to see a bit more of a sample size than just one Grand Prix. However, I am confident in Daniel. I think that uh, with Checo also having a bit of a shocker uh, being out in corner one and qualifying ahead of him, that it really has ignited this conversation about Ricardo returning to Red Bull. So, yeah, um, I think that kind of leans right into uh, my demise, who I think also has to be Checo, um, regardless of the big picture crashing out into turn one at your home Grand Prix when you are supported um, just as much as pretty much any other home driver at their home Grand Prix. Um, that sucks. So I think it's a no-brainer demise. And then, of course, the big picture stuff just adds to it um, with uh, potentially you know him getting older. We don't know how many more years he's got in the Red Bull. He's under a lot of pressure. This P2 fight has been reignited. Everything... Um, that could have gone wrong, of course, went wrong. So, uh, yeah, um, I will say an honorable mention to Haas with them falling into um, P10 and their upgrade from Austin not really seeming like it's working now that they've got a uh, full race weekend of practice and stuff to take a look at it. They maybe were a little better, but not good enough. Um, they seem to be completely out of it. So, yeah, pretty unfortunate there. And the surprise, I will say, is Ferrari. Um, they definitely did way, way better than I thought they would. Um, that's really all I got to say there. My honorable mention for surprise is Williams, because I also thought this would not be a track that would suit their car. They uh, pop up at a lot of weekends and put in these random, uh, well, I should say Albon, puts in these random stellar performances. Um, he was amazing in practice and then fell off in qualifying in the race when the temps got a little bit too high. Um, Sargent was also driving pretty good, um, until the end, he was very frustrated when he had to pull into the pits and retire. So an honorable mention to them, they were quite surprising. And then, um, before I get into the Brazil preview, I did kind of forget one thing that I wanted to talk about. And that was the FP1 session, seeing some young drivers. Um, I won't get into it too much in depth, but we had Frederick Vesti in the Mercedes. We had Isaac Hajar. We had, um... Ollie Behrman in the Haas, and I'm forgetting one. There was one more. Ah, uh, shoot, I forget. But there definitely was, there was another young driver there too. And the reason I'm forgetting is because the main person I wanted to bring up was um, Ollie Behrman. From what I heard, he had a stellar um, FP1 session, was very impressed by Haas. Um, Io is the race sporting director i don't remember what his title is ayo kamatsu i believe is his name 
trackside engineer, something. He has some high up title with that. <laughs> I, sh- I should have looked it up, but that's because I forgot to write it down and I'm remembering it kind of on a whim here that I should have mentioned the FP1 session. So apologies for not remembering all the details, but I did read an article that IO was extremely impressed with what he saw from Ollie. He didn't put a foot wrong, he said. And uh, yeah, I think that is great news for the young Brit. Um, if he ever wants to uh, potentially move up to Ferrari one day, he could be a star of the future. I just remembered it was Teo Porcher. Teo Porcher was also uh, in FP1 with Alfa Romeo. So there you have it. Those four drivers were uh, practicing in Mexico. Now let's talk about what's coming up in Sao Paulo. So F1 will be capping off their triple header in the Americas in Sao Paulo, by far one of the best circuits in F1 and one of my favorites. I'm not sure what really why this track always lends to great racing. It used to be the finale. I think a lot of people wish it was still the finale, you know, the last track on the F1 calendar each year. That's not the case anymore. But this track has had so many great moments. Um, Brazil 2012, some people believe, is the best race of all time. Uh, Lewis won his first championship, Brazil 2008. Um, I think 2021 and 2022 Brazil were also fantastic. Brazil 2019 with Max winning um, and Pierre Gasly out-dragging Lewis to the line. It was all just phenomenal stuff. Um, And it happens year in, year out, it seems, here. So... Interlagos really is a pretty short track at high altitude. It's got a pretty cool long straight into turn one, and then that has that uh, back straight once you go down the hill. Um, Then it's got the Senna S's, and basically that's the whole circuit. Like, it's so short. And I'm not sure, like I said, why it is so great, but it's kind of funny how... This seems to be F1's go-to sprint venue now. They seem to be trying it in all sorts of places, but if they all fail, they know they'll get a good one at Interlagos, um, so they keep going back to it. You know, sprints debuted in 2021. There was a sprint there, and it was awesome. Then last year, I think the sprints were pretty underwhelming, but the one in uh, Brazil was awesome again, and then this year they, they bring it to six. Some sprints have been good. Some sprints have been pretty boring. But we're going to have the final one of the year here, and I think everyone expects more fireworks just because it's Interlagos. But before we get into the rest of uh, the Brazil preview, we're going to stay on the topic of the sprint. It's now break bias question time, right? I asked last episode for people to uh, go to the link in the description and answer on the Google Forms um, what they want to see F1 do with sprints. The option, the options were to revert to the old format of, you know, qualifying on Friday, setting the grid for the sprint, then doing a sprint with three points, two points, and one points for the top three driver, drivers. Um, and then it was that that set the grid for Sunday's race. Another option was to just stay with the current format. There was also the Carlos Sainz idea, which was a separate sprint championship with a reverse driver's championship order of each race, which I think was pretty interesting. 
And then it was also just throw sprints in the bin. I did leave an option for other, and we actually did get a response um, for other. So the other one was to just make pit stops mandatory, which I think has it has been something discussed before, and it would definitely add an element to strategy. Um, you know, like Austria, for example, was a wet sprint this year, and it was awesome because we got a well, luckily we got a drying track. Um, so that did mean that people pit onto dry tires and it, uh, made, you know, an element of strategy. It, it made the race interesting because there was that element of strategy. So making mandatory pit stops would, uh, add that to a degree. I don't necessarily agree. Um, but I think it would make it slightly more exciting. It just seems a little bit wasteful to make drivers pit when they don't have to, um, plus, we did see if there was like a maximum stint length, what happened with that in Qatar, and I don't think it really worked out there. But anyway, the winner of the poll was the Carlos Sainz idea. I think this is kind of what I expected. New ideas are always going to be the most exciting thing. So the majority of people, in fact, I believe it was 50% of, of the responses um, wanted to see the Carlos Sainz idea come in. Um, and then I would say in second was throw sprint, sprints in the bin. Pretty much no one wanted to see um, the old format or this current current format stay. So I think that also speaks volume. So the break bias fans are calling for the Carlos Sainz idea, which is for each sprint race to just be set by the reverse of the driver's championship order. So that means in P1 or on pole position for the sprint right now would be Logan Sargent. Um, and at the at the back of the grid would be the two Red Bulls. Then it would be Lewis and Carlos, Fernando, and and they would have to, you know, catch up to try and score points um, in the sprint. So I think that would definitely make things more interesting. And like I said, I'm not surprised that that was the top result in the Google form. Now let's take a look at what happened in Brazil last year. Well, uh, it was the weekend of George Russell, wasn't it? I mean, it didn't start out as the weekend of Russell with him actually causing a red flag that gifted Kevin Magnuson the pole position of all pole positions. I mean, the first one for Haas, it was absolute scenes. Definitely started the weekend with a bang. Um, so that was pole position for the sprint that did not last for him. The sprint was definitely dominated by an impressive showing from George Russell passing Max Verstappen on the road for a P1 finish. He was one of the first drivers to do that the, like pretty much the entire year uh, since, uh, I think Leclerc passed Verstappen three times in the Austrian Grand Prix. Um, that then previewed what was to come on Sunday as George once again took the checkered flag ahead of this time, Lewis Hamilton, for the first non-Red Bull or Ferrari win of the season. Uh, that race also saw a pretty contentious moment between Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen. The two came together and sent them both back several positions in the race. Um, Max's fault, in my humble opinion, by the way. It was also a very bad weekend for Red Bull altogether because not only did their drivers come home in 6th and 7th, there was the whole team orders saga as well where Perez let Max by to let him have a crack at Alonso. Max did not pass Alonso and then he refused in a very uh, colorful way to not give the 
position back to Checo. Um, a lot of people pretty much determined that this was about Max uh, believing that Checo did that. Uh, Checo purposely crashed out in Monaco qualifying to uh, help his grid position. Um, it was a bit tasty after the race. Um, I think Checo used the words or something like, yeah, like it shows his character or something like that. So, yeah, that was a whole thing last year that uh, was pretty interesting. And we thought that it, this relationship would maybe come to blows, but it certainly hasn't or it has at least been kept under wraps. There's also another talking point that I think has come from the 2022 Sao Paulo Grand Prix. It's, of course, um, in hindsight, and that is about Mercedes, because one could argue that winning that race or, and getting a 1-2 also was actually bad for them. Um, I don't need to spend a whole lot of time on this because we're also already running kind of long, but essentially Mercedes with their zero pod, uh, zero pod concept um, did actually come on quite strong at the end of last year, and they have said, they as in um, pretty high up team members like Mike Elliott and Total Wolf, have said that that win actually kind of reaffirmed them that uh, their concept was in fact something worth pursuing. And that's why they went down the wrong direction again this year. And basically that's what's led to this nightmare of a season from them. Um, we all thought Mercedes was able, would possibly be able to uh, bring a better car to the 2024 season. That was not the case. Um, and now they have abandoned the zero pod concept and gone in a completely different direction. And they are significantly behind Red Bull as a result. So yes, they won the one race in 2022. It was George Russell's first of his career. He would not, you know, um, give that up, I don't think. However, I think you could argue that it actually set Mercedes back because had they not won the race, they may have actually pursued a different direction over the winter and we could have had a better season. And even if Red Bull still dominated and Mercedes was a comfortable P2, they would probably be looking better um, at next year or the year after at catching Red Bull instead now they are where they are, and they are pretty far back. Now, this season, they will not make that same mistake. They will be going um, or continuing in this new direction regardless of the Brazil uh, results. And, you know, I do expect them to do well here. Uh, so what do I predict for qualifying? I think we have to start respecting the Ferraris in quality. I'm going to say Leclerc bags another pole position on sprint day i'll say lando norris goes fastest in the shootout but loses out to max in the sprint and then in the race interlagos always serves up a great one so i'm going to say lando gets his redemption and wins on sunday his first of his career it'll be the moment of the year he is going to be followed by lewis hamilton and george russell who are going to be feeling like they missed an opportunity to win for my bold prediction, Verstappen will have his first DNF of the season, but I'll add another one. I'll say an AlphaTauri finishes ahead of Checo again. Now, Brad's bets. We got to ride the bias every race week. It wasn't as bad as last week, but a review of my picks again shows that George did not bounce back for, on the podium. So that was a loss. I did have Lewis on the podium and a top two finish. So those were both yeses. Piastri in the top six was a no. 
under 17 and a half classified for plus 155. That was a pretty big winner. Um, but then my next two were number of race leaders, three or more, no, and Mercedes on pole long shot was a no. So I did give out some pretty nice winners with Lewis top two finish and the under 17 and a half was a big one. However, I did give out um, two heavy favorites with Piastri in the top six and number of race leaders being three or more, and they both did not hit. So I would say a pretty middle of the road um, uh, race weekend for me. I will say, though, I did have bets of my own. Like I said, Max Verstappen and 12 second margin was what I won on. And I also had a Carlos Sainz top six bet, but that was after practice. Um, So the odds are a little bit different. Like I do feel like monitoring what's happening during practice can help you take advantage of some, uh, some bets over the weekend. So I definitely advise, uh, y'all to do that this week ahead of the race though. Let's back Ricardo again. I got him scoring points in Brazil for plus 160. Um, I also think this is maybe really going out on a limb with, uh, the odds, but uh, I don't think the books have adjusted yet. So let's take Leclerc for pole position um, for plus 850. Those odds are ridiculously long for a driver who continues to show that he is capable in qualifying wherever, uh, regardless of how quickly are in the race. So I think that's something you have to look at. If you want a safer bet, then take Lewis to get on the podium again for minus 185. I also like over 18 and a half cars classified for plus 170. I think uh, the books are looking at this and saying that, you know, Brazil usually has quite a bit of jeopardy. So they're leaning on some more safety cars and some more retirements where I think you can now take advantage of this. So as long as two cars don't retire, you're making pretty good money there. Then the bet three, six, five exclusive is no virtual safety car. That's for even odds. So plus 100, then the long shot, obviously Leclerc pole is a long shot based on the odds, but if you're feeling it, I would take a stab at Alpine first car to retire plus 1200. I can't believe they're the only t- they're they're even with Mercedes and and other teams um for the longest odds for first ha- car to retire. Red Bull is the other one that is uh slightly longer and they actually were the first car to retire in Mexico. It can happen to anyone. So take Alpine plus 1200 and go for that big money. That's going to do it for episode 77 of Break Bias. I'm your host, Brad Kramer, and I will be back next week to review the Sao Paulo Grand Prix. It's been a Mercedes weekend for the past two years running. Can they take the fight to Red Bull, or will Max Verstappen take win number 52 in his career and cement himself on the Mount Rushmore of F1 winners? Goodbye.